Lifespring number 191, The Ten Commandments versus Faith, and a review of The Shack. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to LifeSpring number 191. It's so good to have you here today. My name is Steve Webb, and I'm your host. You know, LifeSpring's been around since November of 2004, and this was the very first Christian all-podcast podcast. It's been nominated three times for the People's Choice Podcast Award in the Religion Inspirational category, and it's won the Podcast Peers Award in 2006 for Best Religion Inspirational Podcast. I don't say this stuff very often, and I've heard it said that if you don't toot your own horn once in a while, nobody else is going to do it for you, so thank you for indulging me. So what does life spring all about? Well, Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your age, your sex, or your station in life. Jesus said... Who do you say that I am? Life Springs about answering that question and the question of how and why the answer can and does affect your life this very day. We have got a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments versus faith. And because so many of you have asked me my opinion of the best-selling book, The Shack, I'm going to give my review. Also, there's some great music on the show today, including a track from the late Larry Norman a guy who put Christian music on its ear way back in 1972 with the album from which this track comes. It's a real treat to play it for you, and I can't wait. Of course, I'll bring you up to speed on what's been going on in my life at the end of the show. There is a lot to cover, so let's get started right after this. You know, I am so pleased to have CovenantEyes.com as a sponsor of the LifeSpring Media Ministry. These guys are so committed to being able to provide you a tool which will help you to be pure when it comes to your internet surfing habits. It's all about being accountable where you go on the internet. What is so very exciting is they now have accountability software that will go on Windows Mobile 6 and higher phones and PDAs. And in addition to that, they will soon have iPhone and iPod Touch accountability software. So they are not resting on their laurels. They are committed to providing the very best tools to help you stay pure on the Internet. Now, when you go over to CovenantEyes.com to check out more details, which I highly recommend you do, when you sign up, you're going to get 30 days free if you use the promo code LIFESPRING. So give that a look at CovenantEyes.com, promo code LIFESPRING. Hey, what's your backup plan for your hard drives on your computers? Uh, is it, uh, well, I'll do it when it's convenient? Well, if it's that, you know that you probably have never backed up, except, well, maybe the first time when you decided you were going to get serious about this. But then, you know, you hate to think about it, you hate to take the time out to do it, and on and on. Even if you have a good backup plan where you've uh, got some software or something that backs up your hard drive, or if you've got a Mac and you've got Time Machine, all those things, well, they're helpful, but they're not a perfect plan. In addition to those things... 
you've got to have off-site storage. Well, Carbonite makes it easy. You don't even have to think about it. It's available for Windows and Mac, and it's affordable. Can you believe unlimited storage for $54.95 a year? That's right, $54.95, and you can store anything and everything on your hard drive. Now listen, here's what I want you to do. Go to backup.lifespringmedia.com and sign up. You'll get a 15-day free trial period, and you'll find out that this is really, truly peace of mind.
Sometimes you can't see what's right before your eyes. Sometimes you can't see the truth for all the lies. So just keep on looking up. That's good advice, Olwen. That's Olwen Ringrose, one of my favorite indie artists from the UK, and we'll be hearing from Olwen later in the show. And now the Ten Commandments versus faith. Now, for you theologians out there, I know that what follows really oversimplifies things, but I don't want this to become a three-hour tour, and I'm a simple guy. For those of you who are not theologians, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In other words, let's let the theologians argue the fine points. We'll keep it simple and we'll be okay. You know, a few days ago, my email box, uh, my email inbox brought me a notification of a new follower. So as always, I checked out this new follower's Twitter page and was somewhat saddened by what I saw there. Most of the tweets were expressing the, the idea that a certain Old Testament law had to be followed with the implication that you're in serious error if you don't. Well, the reason I was saddened is that, well, upholding the law is not what being a believer is all about. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do that will make him love you less. Your salvation is not based on what you do or don't do, and it makes me sad that some people are bound up in rules and regulations when there truly is freedom for those who have put their trust in Jesus. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 20. He said, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight, and that means made blameless in the eyes of God. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So what Paul is saying there is that even by obeying the law, that is all the do's and don'ts from the Old Testament, even by obeying the law, you cannot earn righteousness in God's sight. That's not the purpose of the law. Instead, the law was given in order to point out that we are way short of the perfection that God requires. You say, wait a minute, Steve, come on, I'm a pretty good guy. I've never killed anybody. I haven't robbed any banks. I've never slept with my neighbor's wife. I'm doing pretty well when I look at the Ten Commandments. That's got to count for something, right? <laughs> well, maybe as far as I'm concerned, Steve, I'll agree, you're a pretty good guy. But the thing is, I'm not the standard by which you are judged. God is the standard. And listen to what Jesus said in regards to following the law in standards. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Jesus said, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And listen to this. He said, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So how are you doing now? <laughs> what is the deal then? Why did God set the standard so high? You say, how in the world can I get into heaven with these impossible to uphold laws? It's hopeless. That's precisely the idea that it's hopeless. Bringing you to that realization is the purpose of the law. The law is not given to save you, but to show you how broken you are. But there is good news. Let's continue to read Paul's statements from Romans chapter 3. 
He said, but now a righteousness from God. Now, don't miss that part. This righteousness comes from God and not from our efforts. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To whom? To all who believe. Not just the ones who follow the law, but to all who believe, said Jesus. Who believe what? That you got to follow the law? Well, of course not. How absurd would that be? You'd be in a circle, right? I mean, how would this work? If it was to believe that you had to follow the law, this is how this scripture would have read. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe in following the law. (laughs) Would that work? No, I'd be silly. So what Paul is saying here is that faith in Jesus Christ, in what he accomplished by his death and resurrection, is the key to salvation. He goes on to say in Romans 3, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All. Each. No one is left out of this. Everyone. For all have sinned and and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace, Paul said. Justified freely by His grace. By His what? His grace. Grace means I received what I could never earn and I was protected from the punishment that I deserved through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. How did the redemption come? By Jesus Christ, because of his death and resurrection. Paul continues, God presented him as a sacrifice for atonement. What's atonement? It's payment. Payment for what? For our sins. Being a God of justice, God requires atonement for sins committed. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. There has to be a sacrifice of blood. That's how serious God is about holiness, purity, and righteousness. You see, by talking about the fact that there has to be faith in Jesus, that's not letting anybody off the hook. Well, it lets you and me off the hook, but still God is a righteous and a just God. Payment is required. That's the justice side of God. But as the TV infomercials say, but wait, there's more. Let's continue. Paul says, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Okay, there had to be that sacrifice. Because in his patience, because in God's patience, he had left the sins committed before unpunished. He did it. He did what? He presented Jesus as a sacrifice to demonstrate his justice at the present time, Paul continues, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God could not violate his own law, my friend. Justice requires payment, and God provided that payment himself. This is a God who is committed to having a relationship with you and with me. But let's continue here. So what what do we have so far? That no one will be declared justice in God's sight by observing the law, but God has made a way by providing a way of atonement through Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul continues. He says, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. And and this is important here. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So man, you and me, are justified by having faith in Jesus Christ and not by observing the law. Let's go back to the book of Romans here. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. In other words, Paul's just saying there that God has made this plan for everybody, for the Jews and the non-Jews. So, continuing, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And what Paul is saying there is basically that the law continues to serve its purpose, that of showing our bankruptcy before God, and that upon that realization, we submit ourselves to his requirement of faith in his free gift alone. So it makes me sad when people think that they have to measure up somehow to some standard of behavior. We can't be perfect enough to be accepted by God because we don't have it in us. Like Jesus demonstrated on on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, look, if you just look at a woman and have lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. That's an impossibly high standard. And that's exactly the point. The law was not to be a standard by which we had to live in order to be accepted by God. The law was created only to show that there's no way that we can be perfect enough for God. And the only way that we can be accepted by God is to to accept that free gift that was provided by God through Jesus Christ and then rest in that. It doesn't mean that there are no standards. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, time to just party and forget about everything. That's not at all what I'm saying. And that's not what Paul was saying. Because there are many places in the New Testament that talk about what will happen inside of us as far as our behaviors and our attitudes and our heart as a result of putting faith in Jesus Christ. But it's, but it's never something that I have to uh, work up. It's never, never something that I can make happen within my own heart. It's always something that God accomplishes in me through what Jesus did and through the Holy Spirit. This passage has always been somewhat of a controversial one, as you might imagine. There is, for some people, a tension between freedom and legalism. And I could go on and on for hours, but let's end it there. The simple truth is that keeping the law does not save you. That only comes with faith in Jesus. Simple enough, good deal. And now, what a special treat I have for you today. More than three decades after its release, Only Visiting This Planet is regarded as a landmark album in the history of contemporary Christian music. Originally released in 1972, the album was voted in 1990 by Contemporary Christian Music Magazine as the greatest Christian album ever recorded. Let's listen to Larry Norman's Why Don't You Look Into Jesus. Sipping whiskey from a paper cup You drown your sorrows till you can't stand up Take a look at what you've done to yourself Why don't you, you put the bottle back on the shelf Yellow fingered from your cigarettes Your hands are shaking while your body sweats Why don't you look into Jesus? He got the answer
great it is to be able to play that on the Lightspring Show. All right, well, let's talk about The Shack by William Paul Young. This is a book that has created quite a lot of controversy, sort of like the last topic. It's the number one bestseller on the New York Times list with over 7 million copies in print. And from their website, let me just give you a synopsis of what the book is about. Mackenzie Allen Phillips' youngest daughter, Missy, has been abducted during a family vacation, and evidence that she may have been brutally murdered is found in an abandoned shack deep in the Oregon wilderness. Four years later, in the midst of his great sadness, Mac receives a suspicious note, ostensibly from God, inviting him to that shack for a weekend. Against his better judgment, he arrives at the shack on a wintry afternoon and walks back into his darkest nightmare. What he finds there will change Mac's world forever, and quite possibly your own. In a world where religion seems to grow increasingly irrelevant, the shack wrestles with that timeless question, where is God in a world so filled with unspeakable pain? The answers Mac gets will astound you and perhaps transform you as much as it did him. You'll want everyone you know to read this book. Wow, that's a big claim right there. You'll want everyone you know to read this book. Well, what do you think? Well, I've had some people tell me that I should read this book, raving about how it really touched them. 
including one friend of mine who's a big bear of a guy that told me how he wept like a baby near the end of the book. But I really don't do much extra reading right now, as busy as I am. I, I'll be telling you later on about how busy that is, but trust me, it's busy. So I, I, I just don't have a lot of extra time for reading. So before reading the book, trying to decide whether to invest my time or not, I read some reviews. Wow. Lots of church leaders, and I'm using air quotes there, lots of church leaders really don't like this book. They don't like the shack. I read about charges of heresy, false Jesuses, uh, teaching universal redemption, a God that's too nice, and on and on. And by the way, you know what universal redemption is? That's the notion that everyone on the planet ultimately will be saved. And while that's a nice thought, it that's not really what the Bible teaches, okay? Uh, and we're not going to get into that, but that's that's a serious charge. And so um, it's it's been made against this book. And you know, having read all those things, you know, I'm not one to let other people make decisions for me, but as busy as I am, it just sounded like it would be a complete waste to invest my time in the book. I decided I was going to write it off. I mean, after all, while I am confident that I can wade through false doctrine just fine, thank you, I didn't really just, I didn't want to deal with it. But then some of you began to ask my opinion. And as more of you asked, I decided that I guess I should read it so that I could give my assessment. So here it is. First, understand that this is a book of fiction. The authors never intended it to be a doctrinal treatise. And I say authors because though there's only one name on the cover, it was really co-written by three people, according to the publisher's website. So since it is a work of fiction, I think that maybe we can relax the standards just a wee bit, okay? I mean, if you're looking to make this your Bible, you're on shaky ground. And if your only basis for understanding God is the shack, then you're going to miss some very important aspects of who he is. But with that on the table, I think there are some fine illustrations of the Trinity in the shack. I like how the book challenges the stereotypes we have of God as an old Gandalf-type man sitting in heaven watching and waiting for us to sin so that he can catch us and smack us. <laughs> That's not who God is. And the shack really upends that notion in a, well, a surprising way. I must say that because of the reviews that I had read, um, I expected to encounter all sorts of weird ideas in the shack. Reading with my red pen at the handy, I expected to end up with notes in the margins and underlined sections so that I could bring all the heresies to your attention. I was ready to warn you, as so many others have done, to stay away. I expected to come back to you and say, don't waste your money, don't waste your time, and don't be misled by the silver tongue of the devil as he fills your mind with half-truths and lies through the words of the shack. <laughs> Imagine my surprise when I found very little to quarrel with, and nothing that, to me, smacked of heresy. Some minor quibbles, but really not as much as I have with some major Christian denominations. Uh-oh, Steve, you're getting on shaky ground there. Yeah, well, that's all right, I can take it. And just as I can attend just about any Christian church with whom I may have difficulties, and I can enjoy the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ while not agreeing with them on every fine point of doctrine, I can read the shack and enjoy a good work of fiction. Yes, the three persons of the Godhead are presented in a way that might raise some eyebrows. Not so much Jesus, but God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Especially God the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe not especially. Maybe for both of them, for some of you. But just because eyebrows are raised doesn't mean that the characterizations are heretical. 
It just means that you have to stop and ponder for a moment or two whether you, as the reader, can get your head around a new idea of who God is and how he manifests himself, an infinite, perfect spirit being, to finite, imperfect, physical us. I mean, do you really think that God the Father is an old white man with a long white beard and hair? Really? And how do you see the Holy Spirit? Do you really think that he is a dove? Or a tongue of flame? Or wind? How would you put into words what the Holy Spirit looks like? And just as important, how would you describe how he communicates with us? Think about that. And what about Jesus? In your mind, is he tall with light brown hair and blue eyes? Is he good looking? Well, by whose standards? Is he athletic and graceful? Is he soft-spoken, serious? Let me stop here for just a moment and say that at first, I was surprised that Jesus was even in the book. Not that he shouldn't be, but because of all the bad things that I had heard. But he is there. And the shack makes it very, very clear that Jesus is absolutely necessary for salvation. The authors were careful not to trivialize Jesus and his role in the redemption of mankind in any way. Trust me, if it were there, I would have found it. Well, how do the three persons of the Trinity interact with each other? What do you think? Is there a hierarchy? You know, for some people, that's very important. I'm not so sure. What does God do when we fall short? How far is he willing to go to reach a lost soul? Where is God when something unspeakably horrible happens? When one of his creation does something to another of his creation that nearly destroys them or does destroy them? How could a loving God allow such things? Well, the shack attempts to answer some of these questions in some new ways. Now, notice I didn't say that the shack tries to give some new answers. I said it uses some new ways, new methods, new paradigms, if we can use that tired word. What's wrong with that? That's what good teaching is, if you ask me. A good teacher makes you look at things differently. I think that's good. I have an idea as to why so many church leaders have so little good things to say regarding the shack. And I think it's a big reason is because the shack isn't all that complimentary to organized religion. (laughs) Between you and me, that's fine. Because even though I believe strongly in the local church, because after all, I've been active and a very much involved participant in every church that I have been a part of since I became a believer almost 40 years ago, I believe in the local church. But I'll be the first to admit that there are some problems with it too. And if you base the condition of your relationship with God on your church involvement, or if your church is your only contact with God, or if you allow your church to be your source of truth instead of the Bible filling that role, or a myriad of other things that I could mention, then you got a problem. Relationship with God should be tantamount, not church involvement. The thing is, when you criticize organized religion, you're going to have some pushback from some of the leaders, and some of them are going to pull out that H-word, heresy. They'll try to use their influence to keep the flock away. Listen, you don't necessarily want to turn over your decision-making process to other people, okay? Don't let others tell you what to read or not to read. You're smart enough to think for yourself. If you're worried that you may not be able to tell truth from lies, then get more education. Study the Bible more. 
the more truth you know, the easier it becomes to identify that which is not truth. If you're having trouble and you need answers, first consult the Bible. Then, if you still need help understanding, go to others whom you trust and have a dialogue. The Bible has some good things to say about seeking godly counsel, so use that counsel from the Bible and seek godly counsel. Don't just let others make decisions for you when you're capable of making your own. Now, is the shack perfect? Of course not. But do I think that it's from the pit of hell? Nah. The shack is pretty clear that Jesus is the only way. Listen to this. This is from the book, and this is Jesus talking to the protagonist Mac. Those who love me have come from every system that exists. They were Buddhists or Mormons, Baptists or Muslims. Some are Democrats, some Republicans, and many don't vote or are not part of any Sunday morning or religious institutions. I have followers who were murderers and many who were self-righteous. Some are bankers and bookies, Americans and Iraqis, Jews and Palestinians. I have no desire to make them Christian, but I do want to join them in their transformation into sons and daughters of my Papa, into my brothers and sisters, into my beloved. Does that mean, said Mac, that all roads will lead to you? Not at all. Jesus smiled as he reached for the door handle to the shop. Most roads don't lead anywhere. What it does mean is that I will travel any road to find you. That's very important. I'm going to get back to that in a minute, but let me read this next section. This is also from the shack. Now, this part is Papa talking, God the Father. Like I said, everything is about Him. Creation and history are all about Jesus. He is the very center of our purpose, and in Him we are now fully human. So our purpose and your destiny are forever linked. You might say that we have put all our eggs into the one human basket. There is no Plan B. Seems pretty risky, Max surmised. Papa continues, maybe for you, but not for me. There has never been a question that what I wanted from the beginning, I will get. Papa sat forward and crossed her arms on the table. Honey, you asked me what Jesus accomplished on the cross, so now listen to me carefully. Through his death and resurrection, I am now fully reconciled to the world. The whole world, said Mac. You mean those who believe in you, right? The whole world, Mac. All I'm telling you is that reconciliation is a two-way street, and I've done my part totally, completely, finally. It is not the nature of love to force a relationship, but it is the nature of love to open the way. All right, so let's talk about those two passages. Jesus said, "Those who love me have come from every system that exists." And he talked about different religions. He talked about different political views. He talked about all the differences, and it's important, I think, there to note that he says. Those who love me have come from every system that exists. Okay, that's very important. He didn't say those who love me are Buddhists and Mormons, etc., etc. He said though they have come from every system that exists. And so Max says, does that mean that all roads will lead to you? And Jesus says, not at all. Most roads don't lead anywhere. Well, what does that mean? If you're going somewhere and you're on a road that leads nowhere, what are you? You're lost. That means you're not going to make it to your destination, and so if we assume that the destination is to find peace with God, most roads don't lead to peace with God. That's what Jesus was saying there in the book. And then I love the last sentence that I read from that passage. What it does mean is that I will travel any road to find you. Can you imagine what Jesus gave up to come here in the first place? He had to leave the glories of heaven to be on earth, to become a human being, to be able to make atonement for you and me. 
He went pretty far right there, but he will travel any road to get to you. That, my friend, is love. And then the conversation with Papa, where he said, creation and history are all about Jesus. And can there be any doubt what is meant there? He was very, very clear. He said, through his death and resurrection, I am now fully reconciled to the world. You say, oh, wait a minute. That sounds like where Max said the whole world and Papa says the whole world. And that you say, oh, that's where universalism comes in. The whole world is going to be saved. That's not what happened there. That's not what is being said. Papa said, it's a two-way street. If I make a gift available to you and I say, here's a gift, you still have to receive it. You still have to put your faith in it. I don't see any universalism there. I don't see all roads lead to God at all in this book. I think this last section goes perfectly with John 1.12 that says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God made it available, but you got to receive it. So really, short of stopping the book in these places and having an altar call and laying out the plan of salvation, chapter and verse, I think the authors are very clear that Jesus is the way, the only way to salvation. So the bottom line, I like the book okay. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best, I give it a 7. Do I recommend it? Well, sure. If you have extra time and you're looking for something to read, I think it's fine. Do I think everyone should read it? Nah. I've read fiction books that gripped me more and took me to other places in my head more vividly. But this book did keep me reading, kept me interested. It's a decent book. I'll put my stamp of approval on it for what that's worth. (laughs) Not much, but some of you wanted to know. Now, before recording this show, I asked via Twitter and Facebook and a host of other social networking sites for comments about the book. And here are some of the responses that I got. Davey, who is a longtime listener to LifeSpring, wrote to me in, uh, let's see, uh, Facebook. He said, I've not read it other than a few quotes, but I don't plan to. The author is is a universalist, and I have heard so many problems with it, even for a work of fiction. I'm worrying as to how popular this book is. Okay, well, Davey, I hope I've put your mind at rest at least enough to maybe sample it yourself. And then our opening artist, Olwen Ringrose, she responded to me via Facebook. She said, I read it a while ago, and I found it quite thought-provoking. I don't think that it's theologically correct in the way it portrays the Trinity, but as a device for approaching various theological discussions, I thought it certainly has merit. I should be reading this in a Brit accent, shouldn't I? But then my friend James Cooper would be making fun of me for my Brit accent, so I'll just read it with my Southern California accent. Owen continues, I think the thing to remember is that it's not the Bible, and be open enough to the themes and general ideas without getting bogged down in the metaphor. Even after reading it, if you decide that you don't agree with most of it, it's still worth entertaining the ideas within, because I, for one, am not so arrogant to believe that I have total and complete revelation of God. Yeah, that's a good point, Owen. I also think it's important not to judge a book unless you've actually read the whole thing. Here, here, you bet. I absolutely agree with that as well. And then also on Facebook, a friend of mine who used to attend the church that I attend here in Riverside, her name is Sherry, says... I've read it and discussed it with many friends. And by the way, Sherry, uh, I don't know if she still is, but she used to be a lit teacher. She used to teach at uh, uh, the University of California, Riverside. Uh, I think it was UCR or was it RCC, Riverside Community College. Either way, she was a lit professor in university. So she said, I've read it and discussed it with many of my friends, both Christian and non. 
Most of my Christian friends have some issues with it, as did I. I totally agree with Alwyn's comments. As a book of fiction, it's interesting that the author created God as a person the protagonist could relate to, considering his relationship with his dad. The protagonist would not have accepted God as a father figure. So I accepted that fictional aspect of the book, and I'm not going to tell you what that aspect is if you haven't read it and if you haven't heard. Read the book, and I think you'll be surprised. Leave it at that. Anyway, Sherry continues. However, the character of the Holy Spirit was way out there, and Sherry, i got to agree with you. It was kind of hard to get your head around it, but what's wrong with that? And then she continues, Jesus was more or less Jesus. Some other things were more in the realm of the mystic other than, or rather than biblical. In the end, I felt like his friend, I can't remember his name, and I don't either, but uh, the protagonist's friend, uh, Sherry thinks was either the protagonist's alter ego or imagined. No one else in the story talks to him. Eh, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if I, you know, accept that part of it, Sherry, but that's, that's okay. Finally, I was disappointed that this work of fiction, which I seem to remember reading was a story for the author's children to help them understand the Trinity, I read that too, Sherry, was never meant to be a commercial project. Why is it? Well, I it's hard to say exactly why, but perhaps this is something that the Lord wanted to have in the discussion, our, our public discussion. I don't know. And then I got uh, a tweet back, and this was from David McLaughlin. And uh, he did a, a uh, he just gave me a link to his Shack review. When David writes me, I'm all ears because number one, he's a fan of Brian Duncan, and he's actually helped get Brian brought into the 21st century tech wise. And as you know, I'm a friend of Brian, so let me just continue here with that. You see, Brian has been writing an online journal since March of 2000, but he did it by writing the article sending it to his webmaster, who then had to update the HTML page by hand. And that, of course, could take days, depending upon how quickly the webmaster could get to it. And, of course, there was no RSS, so there was no subscribing, nothing. It was just go check and see if there's a, a new um, update from Brian on his uh, nifty noodles. That's what they called him at the time. But it was not done on blogging software. Well, in January of this year, David got Brian's okay to start a blogger.com account and post his entries. Now, Brian hasn't been updating the blogger site himself, but at least his readers could now subscribe via RSS, thanks to David McLaughlin putting that on the blogger site. And as an aside, I guess this would be an aside of an aside. <laughs> I may have been the first to actually feature Brian in one of the new media platforms because I interviewed him for the first time on LifeSpring number 52, uh, in September of 2005. But David is the first one that got Brian's stuff syndicated on a regular basis. And we'll talk more about Brian being online when we get to the end of the show, and I tell you about some of the things that I've been doing lately. So anyway, back to the comments on the shack. Sorry about the in, uh, the detour, but when you, it's my show. <laughs> David has a very similar attitude toward reading the book as I did. He was not enthused, but he finally gave in because of people asking him about it. And to quote him, he said, his heresy hunter hat was on, and the doctrine alert antenna was set on high. He said, I was out to not like this book. Well, how did he end up? Well, I'll let you read his own post, which I will uh, put a uh, link on the show notes page, because it's very well written. But his conclusion and mine are very similar, though not exactly the same. Um, he's, he had some problems in some areas, uh, but he said basically, you know, relax. I'll, I'll put my endorsement on it with some caveats. And if you want to read his caveats, check out his blog. And then I got another tweet that's, that's uh, BW for today. And this one said, based on quotes I've heard from the shack, it denies the need for Christ's death, 
hints that Christ is not the only way, and I say, church, avoid. And so, again, there you have another example of letting other people influence what you are going to read, and uh, I think we've talked about that enough. And then another one, uh, another tweet said, not quite a review, but some background on the shack and a link to an incredible interview. And yeah, that was a really good interview. So I'm going to put this on the show notes page if you want. And then Victor Cahiao, a friend of mine who hosts the typical Mac user podcast. Victor's a good guy. And he was one that said, Steve, I want to know what you think about the shack. And so he, he gave me two tweets. One was, Thought I was going to love it, but halfway through, I realized it was written for simpletons with no religious foundation, in my humble opinion. And his second tweet was, it represents the veneer in the layers of what spirituality is really about, again, in my humble opinion. So Victor took kind of a, I guess, maybe a harsh tone against the book. So there's a lot of different ideas and opinions about this book. That's okay. That's good. That means it was probably well written. And then I got an email from a guy by the name of Paul who first wrote me back in August of uh, 2007. So he's been a friend of the show for a couple of years now. He said, hi, Steve. I read The Shack about a year ago now. I laughed. I cried. But the bottom line is it did draw me closer to Jesus. Was it theologically correct? Of course not. But it was a great story of one man finding out how a loving Heavenly Father can come to someone in in the worst times of their lives. After all, the author just meant it to be a story. I do hope the shack had significant impact on your life, Paul says. And then he closes with a very nice uh, salutation. He says, I love you, Steve. And Lynn says, hi. So first off, thank you for that, Paul. I really appreciate that. I appreciate so much that you're there and you've been following for a couple of years now. That's, That's fantastic. So what about you? Have you read the shack? What did you think? Write me at steve at lifespringmedia.com. Or send in a toll-free comment at 877-433-9091, twitter.com slash lifespring, or facebook.com slash steve.web. And there's lots of other places on the social networking sphere uh, universe that you can find me. Please feel free to send your comments. For those of you that disagree with me, I hope you still love me anyway. Now, speaking of emails, I got this one this last week. It says, hello, Steve. To begin with, thank you for your work on these podcasts, and I apologize for what will be a little lengthy email. But I really want to share with you my thoughts about LifeSpring and how, I, and how much I've come to appreciate what you're doing. For starters, I'll be honest with you. I had difficulties getting into the podcast, and this would be the, podca- the LifeSpring original episodes at first. I believe I started with numbers 125 or 126, somewhere in that span, and just wasn't relating to it. I was close to deleting it and moving on. But then came the podcast with the man in Pennsylvania who rescues children who have been kidnapped or removed from their homes unwillingly for whatever reason. I'm going to stop there and say, let me, I, I will put a link to those shows in the show notes page. And uh, yeah, those were great shows, weren't they? Let's continue. My wife and I sat totally engrossed listening to what this man had to say about his work and ministry. After that, I really liked that you were interviewing people from different walks of life and ministries and your podcasts on the tongue, Oprah Winfrey, pornography, giving, etc. Maybe I'd been missing something beforehand, but whatever it was, I liked what I was hearing. Then came what is still my favorite podcast, the interview with John Schlitt. 
Now, keep in mind that I'm several podcasts behind where you are currently today. I'm listening at this moment to uh, episode 183 with Kenny, Mark, and Habib and enjoying it very much. So what I'm telling you about now are episodes that are fresh in my mind, even though they're dated for you. That's okay. That's one of the beautiful things about podcasting, right? I try to make them so that they're not dated for the most part. I like them to be able to be listened to whenever. So back to the email. He says, back to John Schlitt. It was the craziest thing. When you first introduced him, I heard him singing and I thought, I know I've heard that voice somewhere before. Then you or he mentioned that he was the lead singer for Head East. Steve, it was the late 1970s, early 80s when I saw this group twice, once in concert when they warmed up the the group Toto and another time in a bar in Lubbock, Texas. They were awesome and I like and I still like their music. I had just forgotten who the band members were. During that time in my life, a period of time that John said he was also in desperate shape, I was a wild and rebellious man who had left the church and was living in any decadence and substance abuse that I could get involved in. I sat completely still during the entire podcast, going back in time and reliving many things, but more importantly, being reminded of how far God has brought me back. I really appreciated that you played most of John's album, The Grafting, and immediately after the podcast, I bought the album on iTunes. I'm still brought to tears when I hear the song, They Are Only Men, but I guess what I want to say in all this is that your podcasts are very well done, and I wanted you to know what an impact that the John Schlitt interview had on me. It was powerful. Keep up the good work, brother. In Him Risen, Steve, and Steve is from Hearst, Texas. Well, first of all, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to write such a good email. And I'm so glad that um, you've gotten into the, into the shows. I'm so glad that they're ministering to you and that you would take the time to share. I really appreciate that. And what I did, Steve, is I sent your email to John Schlitt's manager, and his name is Ricky. And he says, and, and I've known Ricky for some time now. Ricky, in addition to being John Schlitt's manager and some other you know big acts, is the bass player for um, Brian Duncan and the Neo Soul Band. So uh, Ricky and I have a relationship. And so he, when he got the email, he said, hey, bro, how you doing, my man? Wow, Steve, thank you for sharing this. This is a wonderful letter. I will for sure share this with John. Only Men is also an emotional song for John and for all those who hear it. It's being used in a lot of churches now as a worship song we're finding out too. Thank you, Steve, for keeping us all connected. Appreciate this email greatly. And then he also said, we just got word on this for John this morning, being voted number one rock vocalist with the Gospel Channel. And I'll have a link to that if you want to read that. But yeah, the Gospel Channel, which is a cable TV gospel music channel, has voted John the number one rock vocalist in Christian music. So, hey, man, that is pretty cool. So, with that, let us listen to John Schlitt singing Only Men.
And I was also notified just in the last couple of weeks that uh, we have made two best of lists in the blogosphere. The first is a list called 100 Incredibly Inspiring Christian Blogs. And I was so honored to be on this list. In addition, we're on the list of 100 Best Blogs for Christian Moms. Also, so honored to be on this list. Now, among the other people that are on this list in the the podcast area, in the 100 Incredibly Best and the 100 Best Blogs for Christian Moms, there was uh, Vatican Radio. (laughs) Yeah. And Joel Osteen Ministries. And one that I'm so pleased to be thought of, even in the same breath as, is Hope for Today with David Hawking. I have so very much respect for Pastor David Hawking. I have known David, uh, or known of David, and known David just a tiny bit for over, well, 35 years or so. One of my very best friends, Mark Bebout, used to attend his church when he was a child. And later on, uh, Pastor David married Mark and his wife, Karen. And I was in that wedding, and uh, I used to manage a, a Christian bookstore down where his church used to be. And I've spoken to him you know, in, in that context as well. We had him come into the store and, and do some book signings and stuff. I so respect David Hawking. And for this show... To be on the same list as his just just blows me away. What they did on each one of these lists is they divided them up between best blogs and best podcasts and etc. And so uh, anyway, I will put the links to each of these lists on the show notes page. And uh, I was really excited to be included on that. So thank you so much for that. And then here's an audio feedback from a friend of mine. Hi, Steve. Wayne Henderson here from Yucaipa, California, calling in after hearing the most recent episode of the LifeSpring podcast. Great episode. Enjoyed all of your insights, uh, the music that you played. I'm sorry to hear about the most recent legal uh, troubles going on with uh, Mother's Estate. My prayers again with you on that, Steve. Uh, Just wanted to call in and thank you for putting out the LifeSpring podcast and, again, praying that everything starts coming together for you. Take care, buddy. We'll see you later. Bye. Thank you, Wayne. I'm glad you enjoyed that show. Wayne, you can find him at MediaVoiceOvers.com. Wayne is another voiceover artist and lives just, um, I don't know, as a crow flies 20, 25 miles from me. So thanks, Wayne. We'll have to get together for lunch real soon. (laughs) And then here's some personal stuff. I have been so busy. I finished Brian Duncan's website for the most part. We're tweaking it almost every day, uh, putting videos up there, putting uh, photos up there, all kinds of stuff, fine-tuning it, like I said. Uh, Check it out, brianduncan.com. It's taken a lot of work, and there's been some uh, controversy with it in terms of the old site uh, compared to the new site and kind of moving people forward in the technology a little, little bit here and so tell me what you think of it. I would like to hear your your views, your ideas about brianduncan.com. And, you know, you could do me a real favor by putting comments on brianduncan.com about how you like or even don't like the the website there. So go to brianduncan.com. <laughs> tell them Steve sent you and uh, put your comments. In addition, I've been doing some other video production. I produced uh, another corporate video for an internet security related firm, and that one took a long time to do because I was given some footage that needed a lot of processing done to it for color correction and for sweetening the sound and things like that. So that took a lot of time. Of course, I've been doing some voiceover work and, uh, you know, still being a dad and a husband and things like that. Uh, let's see. Uh, in relation to the family situation with my mom, uh, not a whole lot of change there. 
I'm not going to say too much about it because things are still sort of up in the air as to how far, how it's going to go in the uh, court system. But uh, uh, for the most part, no news is good news, I'm going to assume. Let's put it that way. Oh, by the way, when it gets to uh, uh, doing websites and video editing and voiceover stuff like that, hey, you know, if you need any of these services or if you know somebody who might, get in contact with me. I'd love to do some work with you. Uh, Steve at LifespringMedia.com. This is kind of how we're, you know, we're helping to put food on the table today. So I, I would like you to <laughs> keep me in mind if you have need of those services. Well, what have you been up to? Have you been busy? Have you been well? I, I hope so. Drop me an email, a tweet, a a wall post, a a phone call. All the contact info is on the show notes page at LifespringMedia.com. But let me go through it real quick. Steve at LifespringMedia.com is the email. Twitter.com slash LifeSpring. Facebook.com slash Steve.Web. And the toll-free comment line is 877-433-9091. Well, you put up with me for a long time today. Let me see. What are we at here? We're just over an hour, it looks like. Sorry about that. So, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let go of you. I'm going to just say, be on your way. Everything is done here. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for being there. God bless you. Please don't forget to support our great sponsors, Covenant Eyes, using promo code LIFESPRING and CARBONITE. Go to backup.lifespringmedia.com and click on the link that you'll find there. Thank you. May God bless you. May He smile upon you. And may He bring many blessings into your life. Until next time, I'm Steve Webb. LifeSpring Media, bringing the message of hope, love, and good news since 2004. This has been an In Touch Productions podcast. For more great shows, check out LifeSpringMedia.com.